The following is special programming sponsored by Public Radio KUNV 91.5. The content of Soul to Soul does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Soul to Soul, universal ideas for a brighter tomorrow. This show is a free-for-all of positive energy that will include book discussions, music, politics, books, food, COVID-19, oral interviews, books, and Las Vegas history. Today, our show is a, a show about Las Vegas history. I have with me Sue Kim Chung. Dr. Chung is a researcher who loves to talk to showgirls, dancers, and that's what we're going to talk about today for my Christmas show. Hi, Sukim. Hi, Clay T. Great. So how did you get in- involved in doing entertainment, showgirls, dancers? Well, my official title is Head of Public Services in Special Collections and Archives, where I um, oversee reference, instruction, and outreach. But I also have curatorial responsibilities for women's history, LGBT history, and, of course, my favorite, which is entertainment history. And I suppose, having made many acquaintances, my first friend, still my best friend in Las Vegas, uh, was a showgirl in Jubilee when I first moved here in 1999. And I met her, and she was just moving here from Paris, where she had danced at the Lido de Paris, and she moved here to dance in Jubilee. So we met in 2000, and we've been friends for 21 years. And so I learned a lot about shows through her, and then I met her friends, and then through my own work, um, documenting the history of the shows, uh, working with the Don Arden collection at Special Collections. That's probably how I got into the the history of Showgirls. Wonderful. So just for clarification, what is the difference between a dancer and a showgirl? Yes, this is something that lay people find really difficult to understand. So we typically always say showgirl, and they just assume anybody with ostrich feathers and rhinestones and sequins and fishnets is a showgirl. Well, there's a little bit of a difference, and and uh, particularly back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, um, uh, there would be some dancers would be very particular about not wanting to be called a showgirl because dancers in that early period were professionally trained. Typically, they had professional classical ballet training, and uh, so when they were in a show, they really were doing a lot of. Um, choreography and a lot of they were dancing they were doing I always call that they did the heavy lifting in one of those big production shows Um, whereas a showgirl um, typically uh, she just wore a really beautiful costume that might have a really elaborate headdress um, and she was very tall um, had to be certain prerequisite for height and because of the costume and and she her role was just to kind of look beautiful on stage and just sort of walk around gracefully um and, and stride around the stage. Um, later, they came up with a concept called the dancing nude, um, probably in the 70s, maybe. I think it might have started with Hallelujah Hollywood at the MGM Grand. I could be I could be a little off, but I think um, that, that concept of the dancing nude meant that despite the fact that they were 
topless uh, in the show, they were still doing dancing. And, and um, so the dancer would do the most dancing, but they were typically covered. A dancing nude would be topless, but they were also doing dancing. And a showgirl um, had a role of just being beautiful and just um, gliding around the stage. And I, I believe that maybe the last real showgirls in that very strict definition of the word appeared in Hallelujah Hollywood. And then after that, like a show like Jubilee, um, they were called Dancing Nudes. But again, it's a difficult concept for lay people to understand. So typically, if you say showgirl, you know, it, that's people what people think. They, they wore ostrich feathers and headdresses and fishnet tights. and so. Great. So how do we find this topic? You are a librarian who does wonderful research. You help professors on campus, students. So how do you find the topic of showgirls, dancers, fitting into the university classroom? Well, it's certainly a part of Las Vegas entertainment history. Um, you could also say that it's part of, and in, in, in sort of it's Las Vegas history writ large, so women's history. Um, it is... Um, Dancers and dancing nudes and showgirls, they all um, were part of, you know, they were able to work and have um, careers at a time in in the 1950s when, you know, the labor market for women might have been um, not as large and the the capacity for the positions that were available for women. So you could make a good salary. You could... Um, you know, buy your own home, albeit maybe you might have. I have a, I interviewed a dancer who's now in her 90s. And in 1955, she had to have a male dancer buy her house and then quit claim it to her. Um, so she couldn't even buy her own house, even though she could afford to. So it was a, a, a profession that women could have a s success and, um, you know, make a good living at. And um, yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, and that was not the only occupation where women could not buy a house. Mm -hmm. it, it was just the way of the world. And it's just, so I wanted to say that it's it's part of Las Vegas history, and, and then you could also extend it out to sort of labor history, and there's just different, different, and it just is something that you could study as, as part of, and, and then if you're also into entertainment history and the history of the spectacular as something that has appeared on Las Vegas stages, French stages, New York stages as well. So there's all different ways to, to look at um, this history. Wonderful. So tell me about one of our fascinating shows here in Las Vegas. Talk about one of the shows and maybe one of the dancers from that show. Well, um, I never saw this show, but I have read so much about it, and I have seen so many pictures, and I have known uh, performers uh, in the show Hallelujah Hollywood, which was a show uh, designed by Don Arden, the great uh, producer impresario of the spectacle in Las Vegas and Paris. And it was uh, the opening show um, at the original MGM Grand, which is now Bally's. And I believe it opened, the hotel opened in 73, and I believe Hallelujah Hollywood opened the following spring in 1974. And it was uh, quite spectacular in terms of, um, you know, a living curtain of people. Of At the time, they, they had... Um, animals that performed in that show, I believe lions. Um, so it was, you know, this MGM, this spectacle of, of, of movies. So there was, um, and there were 
different. It was the first line of, of African-American dancers. Um, the Ebony line was included in that show. Um, wonderful dancers like Laverne Lagon, who was the dance captain for the Ebony line. Oh, so many uh, fabulous dancers in that show and dancing nudes. And, and certainly, I think one of the principals in that show is the very beautiful Trisha Lee, uh, Trisha Lee Libowichi. Um, and, you know, you see the... I've heard legendary stories about Trisha and her grace and her her beauty on stage, and people still talk about it. And that show closed in 1980, right before the opening of Jubilee. Jubilee was supposed to open in uh, December of 1980, and of course there was the MGM fire in late November of, of 1980. So Jubilee opened in July of 1981. But Trisha was the beautiful one of the beautiful principals in that in that show uh, in Hallelujah Hollywood, and we have so many pictures of her on gracing the stage and. Um, she happened to be the, the daughter-in-law of the famous um, Madame Bluebell, who was the person who was responsible for selecting all the beautiful uh, dancers and dancing nudes for the shows. Um, uh, she was uh, worked hand in glove with Don Arden. So um, Trisha is certainly somebody I think of when I think of the the epitome of, of, of Las Vegas dancers and, and showgirls and um so we didn't talk about this, but tell me about the Bluebells. The Bluebells were the line of dancers in a typical Don Arden and uh, spectacle. They were dressed dancers, which meant they were covered dancers. They were not topless. Um, and then they were dancers, so they worked. They worked hard. They they did a lot of. They did the the majority of the choreography, and they were the sort of main uh, line. And they had a, a line captain and. Uh, they were the ones that did the majority of the of the dancing, um, but again, they were covered. And there were bluebells all across the world. There were bluebells, of course, at the Lido de Paris in, in Paris. There were bluebells in the Lido de Paris show at the Stardust. Um, any show that, that Don Arden put on, and he worked in collaboration with Madame Bluebell, um, there were bluebell dancers, and um, they were. We have a fabulous collection and special collections. We have the Margaret Kelly scrapbooks of of all her clippings of all the bluebells around the world that did shows, and it's a fabulous collection. So this makes me. I'm I'm excited just listening to you talk about it. So if I'm just a regular person here in Las Vegas, can I come into special collections and see these items that you're talking about? You certainly can. There's the fabulous Don Arden papers. There's the Margaret Kelly scrapbook. There's the Tom Hansen collection on Jubilee. There's the Fluff Lacoe papers. Fluff was the longtime company manager of, of Jubilee, and then uh, she was also a dancer herself. Oh, gosh, there's so many collections. and um, But we also have material that is online and has been digitized. The Don Arden collection has been digitized and can be found online at our portal, special.library.unlv.edu. And you can see costume designs. You can see production notes. You can see musical arrangements. Um, um, invoices for feathers from from Paris and um, just so many wonderful things and programs and photographs. All uh, so much of this history is online and available through our portal. But we do have additional things you can visit in person in special collections in our reading room. So, did you see any of these shows? I saw Jubilee because by the time and and Foley Berger by the time I moved here in 1999, there were just the two of the big. Um, 
production show spectaculars, which were Jubilee and Folie Bergère, Jubilee at the Ballets and then um, Folie Bergère at the Tropicana. And uh, so I saw both of those multiple times. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad I did because it's really, um, you know, and it's wonderful that we have all this documentation on the history of the shows, but there really was nothing like actually seeing those beautiful girls come down the staircase in the um, costumes designed for the finale by Bob Mackey. Um, and it's kind of no substitute for that beautiful kind of piece of Las Vegas history. So so is there a place now for that scenery that you just described, dancers and showgirls, along with Cirque du Soleil? Can we do both? Oh, do you think that there is still... A place? Yes. I think that there are a lot of people that would really, obviously, all the performers who performed for many decades in these shows would certainly love to see these shows back. And um, if anything can be judged from the sort of reception they get on Facebook. Um, But I, I think there's room. I think there is, I mean, there still wouldn't be, I mean, the women who are on the strip walking around are not real showgirls, not real dancers, as, as, as far as I know. Uh, but, you know, that, that the fact that they are out there and that, that the former mayor had, you know, showgirls as his sort of signature iconic thing that he would use to bring with him to different multiple events shows you that the showgirl is a sort of symbolic creature, uh, iconic, mm-hmm. you know, associated with Las Vegas. And so, sadly, she has no home. But I think people would people probably miss that spectacle. And maybe it needs to be a little updated, but um, I think it would be something that people would like to see there. Because when you come to Las Vegas and you want to see it, people say, I want to see a, a showgirl show. And it's so sad because there there are no yes. shows anymore. Yes, because I would love to see one again as well. Uh, so with that question, what is the future? Is, is Cirque du Soleil, du Soleil it? Or is there another, what is the next iteration? Gosh. Well, I still think Cirque will be popular for a while. And, um, you know, at one time there were multiple showgirl shows, just like there were multiple Cirque shows. You know, in the 1960s, you had Casino de Paris at the Dunes. You had uh, Lido de Paris at the Stardust. You had the Folie Bergère at the Tropicana. You had at the Desert Inn, you had Hello America or Pizzazz. Um, and you had, um, later on, you had uh, the Moulin Rouge at the Hilton, now the Westgate. Um, you had City Lights. You had uh, uh, Razzle Dazzle. You had these shows that were sort of showgirl shows, via, but ice shows. So there were just so many shows. Um, and so just the way we think that there are so many um Cirque um, shows. shows. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there'll be a resurgence, and it'll be sort of a, a different um, iteration. But they will include uh, these beautiful dancers in, you know, feathered headdresses and and um, fishnets and sequins, and they'll just be a, they'll be a different way of, of presenting it. So I, I mean, I think I don't I don't feel like. It might not be able to do it on the scale, the spectacle scale that they did in the past because the the money may not be there. Um, And maybe the talent is, I don't know, is the talent there to to do these shows. We don't have a Don Arden anymore. We have, um, you know, Jerry Jackson is retired. Um, So who do we have that? But I think that maybe there's the talent out there and and, um, it just needs to be uh, a 
little bit different. Maybe there will be something that will come up, but still utilize the, the dancers. I love that. A few minutes ago, you talked about costume designs. Tell us about that. Tell us about uh, a, a good story about one of the designers or about costuming. How is that done? Well, we are very fortunate in Special Collections and Archives. That is something that we collect extensively to document the shows. They're they're um, quite lovely to look at. You know, a lot of, of documentation in Special Collections is very strictly textual, and it's to help people really um, write um, history. And and so the, the costume designs are 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 historical as well, but sometimes they're just also beautiful and fun to look at. And we have um, the work of, of designers like Bob Mackey, um, who designed for um, Hallelujah Hollywood and for Jubilee. And we, and in, so he worked for Don Arden and we have the work of um, Pete Menifee, um, who worked for Don Arden. And um, one of the more recent, um, we have the work of Folco, who designed for um, the Lido de Paris shows in Paris. And uh, one of the more recent collections we've acquired through a combination of donation and purchase is the work of uh, Bill Campbell, who designed things for the um, Ice Capade shows, but also for a number of Don Arden shows, such as Hello America and Pizzazz in the 1960s and Hello Hollywood Hello, which was the big spectacle show in Reno. And uh, these are quite fabulous, and they're also, um, they have all the information on them about the fabric. So they'll have the beautiful design and they'll have fabric swatches attached to them and they will have notations about what type of fabric and how much and what type of trim to use. Um, and we'll have, we often have sort of rough sketches and finished sketches, which, which were the finished sketches were the things that were presented to the producers of the show to kind of um, explain what they wanted to accomplish with the show and, and how and to, to present the idea to the producers. And uh, one collection that has fabulous designs and is um, is the Jerry Jackson papers. And Jerry Jackson was um, uh, kind of the production show impresario who was design genius behind the Folie Bergère for 35 years from about 1975 to when the show closed in 2009. And his collections, he he not only did the choreography, he wrote lyrics, he wrote music, he did he did costume design, and he so his collection you can really see document the creative process because you see um, rough sketches that he might have done on a small piece of paper, and you see the next stage, and then you see and with all the notations about which material should go here and there, and then you see the finished sketch which he would show to the. Uh, kind of financers and the production team to to get there. So, did you get to interview him? Yes, I got to interview him, and that was. And I did actually want to focus. I did um, ask him a lot of questions about his creative procedure and uh, his creative. Excuse me, his creative process and how he, um, you know, if he was doing a number that involved like it was going to be set in you know France in the 18th century, he would do historical research, or if he was going to have a show set in in China, or if he was going to have a show set in Imperial Russia, he would do a lot of uh, research so that he could incorporate that historical um, knowledge into the costume designs. And so that was kind of fascinating to see how he would bring together the the historical research, the costume designs, the 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 set for the the show, et cetera. The how he was going to design each number, and and so how did you get that collection? 
as a layperson, tell us what you do to bring in a collection like that. Well, with Jerry, it was actually almost like a seven-year process of staying, of contacting him and letting him know what we did at Special Collections and Archives. And um, at that time, the show was still um, uh, going, it was still appearing at the Tropicana nightly. And so Jerry was not really ready to kind of give up his records because they were something that he used um, for the for the show uh, and to, to kind of you know, he, he, they were still working, his working archive for the show. But I kept in touch with him usually year over year. And, um, you know, I brought him, he came once to like look at the show and, and, and freshen it up. And I brought him to the university and I brought him to the reading room to show him what we, we had collected about Don Arden. And he brought some of his designs in. And then, you know, year after year, I would send him a Christmas card and stay in contact with him so that when the show finally closed in 2009, um, he was ready to go, and he was like, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna work on organizing this." And um, so, in two different trips to Los Angeles, I went to his home in West Hollywood and picked up um, the collection and brought it back to UNLV. And it's just a fabulous. Every archive should have a a donor who is so well organized um, and so gracious to actually have everything. Um, as an archivist, you know you you spend a lot of your time if you get a collection, organize it and and determining how to arrange it so that it can be best um, used by researchers. But uh, um, so that there wouldn't be a lot of guessing. Jerry actually organized a lot of his materials by show and and by country and by hotel and it was it's pretty fabulous it's most most donors don't go to that length of trouble to to so it's a fabulous collection it also has been pretty much completely digitized and again available on that special collections portal at special.library.unlv.edu wonderful so you have also have a series that you do here in the city it's a series of discussions where the the community is invited in tell us about that it is called Fishnets and Spotlights, and it's a panel series on entertainment history at the Clark County Library. It's typically twice a year. We were derailed, as everyone was, by COVID. Um, so we had this past year in the summer, we had our first panel for over a year, and this was um, about the celebrating the 40th anniversary of the premiere of Jubilee uh, in uh, July of 1981. And so we had um, Trisha and, um and Janet Spellman, who were both um, original principals in Jubilee when it opened. And we had Diana Eden, who is assistant to costume designer Bob Mackey. And they discussed um, uh, the the previous incarnation of the show and before when it was set to open in December. And then after the fire and their sort of experiences with the fire and Diana was actually in the hotel itself the 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 morning it it caught fire and so we talked about that and then we talked about the opening and 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 the whole process of remaking the costumes after the costumes were destroyed by um not only the fire but the smoke and the water damage from from the firefighters um so we discussed that and and that was a, a really rich discussion but because jubilee um, then went on to run for 35 years. We're having a second panel in February that will kind of focus on um, other years of, of the many other sh- years of the show and the performers who were who were in the show over the years. Um, and uh, so, 
other shows we've had focused on showboys. Um, mm-hmm. We focused on the Casino de Paris, um, the Frederick Apcar show at the Dunes. We did two series of that. We've done two series on um, two panels on specialty acts, the jugglers, the contortionists, the trapeze artists that have appeared in the different shows. Um, and in the in May, we are having a, a panel on the great choreographer um, Ron Lewis, who was a choreographer for Casino de Paris at the Dunes and also Vive Les Girls, uh, many, many other shows. I be- And also he choreographed for Liza Minnelli on Broadway, um, was typically known as, um, you know, a very demanding choreographer. Um, um, and, uh, but his, despite that, his, I mean, his work was just phenomenal. If you danced in a Ron Lewis show, you were, you were the best of the best. And, um, so I'm excited that I will have people talking about his, his amazing work. Um, and that'll be in May. Okay. So the first, the next one though is in February. Yes. What is the ideal panel for that one? It is people who have appeared in Jubilee over a period of, at some point during the 35-year run of the of the show. So you have any yeses yet? I'm working on that. So oh, it's, right. it's, there's so, you know, so many people have appeared in the show because it was a, a very large cast. It, it, it um, did go down um, and uh, in terms of the number of people, but um uh, it um, so there are many people to choose from. So that's oh, the the trick is is finding just four people. So a lot of people, a lot of dancers and showgirls still live in Las Vegas. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh wonderful. For sure. Um, and you know, sometimes people even come in from out of town. I had for one of my showboy panels, somebody came in from L.A. to appear on it, um, but. You know, some some showgirls maybe did one contract and maybe they went back to England or they went back to Paris or or maybe Australia. But a lot of the dancers, they they moved here and they said, "Oh, we're just going to do one contract." And fifty years later, they're still here. So, oh, that's wonderful. I I love I love your topic. I love what you do with it. Uh, any other comments that you'd like to make to the public? Just any comments at all? Well, it's always nice if you if have you if you were a dancer um, or if you were somebody who was a performer involved on the strip, you know, and you have some materials, you feel like, gee, my kids aren't interested. Um, you know, just know that we would love to be take a look at them for the archives because they're just such an important part of documenting Las Vegas entertainment history. Okay, I'm glad you threw that in. So, Sue Kim, personally. With what you do and, and all of the creative things that you're involved in, what are your intentions for the new year? Well, I have my two panels and have, I would love to do um, an actual writing project on Showgirls. So I would love for that to be sort of an intention that I take one of these um, sort of public panels and maybe I could do something that could uh, evolve into an, an article or maybe one day a book about because people just love to read about Las Vegas entertainment history. People have such connections and, and memories with the history of, of Las Vegas entertainment because maybe they've come here and they, they saw a show in the 1960s and that was their first time and they had such a, an amazing um, uh, re- remembrance, a memory, the n- nostalgia of that show. So I think, I think there's an audience for it and I just love for it to, for people to appreciate it. I I think people do, and I think that would be a bestseller. So any personal 
New Year's resolutions, intentions for the year? Maybe I should walk my dogs more. Um, <laughs> um, that's. I, I guess I would just like to do more creative work, and that includes writing projects with coworkers, um, collaborative projects, and um, yeah. Okay, good. More, more create, more creative work is basically what it, what I'd like to do. I, I think that's going to happen. So, this has been Soul to Soul, our last episode of the year. You may hear it every fourth Sunday morning at 8.30, so please join us. This is a show that is a free-for-all of positive energy. It includes book discussions and music, politics, books, food, COVID-19, Las Vegas history, and of course, books. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, Sue Kim.